0: At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb, in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. This holiday season is one that often brings out a lot of family traditions, whether those are religious or otherwise, these rituals that we perform around this season. Uh, tend to reinforce the ties we have to those who have come before us and to those who come after us. Um, Maybe it's Christmas trees or Advent candles or special meals. This season often brings a re-engagement with the traditions of our families. Today, in this holiday season, we have a rare opportunity when January 1st falls on a Sunday. I think I read this only happens, like, on average every seven years. So it isn't often that we get a Sunday to commemorate today's date on the calendar. But no, we're not talking about the civil calendar, it's a new year today as well, but rather on our liturgical calendar, what this has for us today is the eighth day since our celebration of Christ's birth. It's the commemoration of the circumcision and holy name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We sometimes uh, talk about there being uh, times in the church calendar where we, we slow down to walk along in real time with Jesus. Holy Week is a clear example of this as we progress from Palm Sunday to uh, the, the betrayal and the institution of Lord's Supper on Monday, Thursday, the passion and death of our Lord on Good Friday, and then finally to his resurrection. Well, this past week then, too, from December 25th to January 1st, it's one of those times where we walk in real time through the life of Jesus as we strictly follow the chronology laid out for us in Luke 2.21. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, you might notice this day actually commemorates two aspects of Jesus' life, his circumcision and his name. And the history of the church calendar, these two aspects have at times been commemorated separately and at times commemorated together. Our prayer book has them together, and I think that's, that's apt, that's fitting for this most uh, closely follows what Luke describes in, in Luke uh, 2.21. So I'd like to think with you a bit this morning about three lessons these two moments in Christ's life highlight for us. First, I think the event described here in Luke 2.21 reminds us that Jesus Christ, while God, was a human descendant of Abraham and David. Second, Jesus' naming at his circumcision reminds us of his vocation to be our Savior. And third, I think this event shows us how Christ's submission to the law in his circumcision foreshadows and paves the way for him to fulfill this vocation to be our Savior. So let's think together about how the events here that we commemorate today uh, from this verse remind us that Jesus is a human son of Abraham and David. When it comes to long-standing family rituals for the people of God under the Old Covenant, I don't think there's a more central, more long-standing, or more family-defining ritual than the rite of circumcision. Say whatever you want about the keeping the cycle of the, the feasts or the Passover, or what have you. Circumcision was the, a foundational component of God's relationship with his people. Our Old Testament reading this morning from Exodus 34 narrates the giving of the law to God's people through Moses. And this, of course, is a foundational moment in the constitution of God's people, but the right, the R-I-T-E, the right of circumcision was instigated long before the Passover or any of the legal instructions that came via Moses on Mount Sinai. Actually, this goes all the way back to Genesis 17 you recall your context of Genesis at all, God had brought Abraham, then called Abram, thousands of miles away from his homeland to the land that he was going to give to Abraham that he would promised him. And in order to solidify this special relationship that God had with Abram, God did two things. He changed Abram's name to Abraham, and more on that in a moment, and he instituted the sign of circumcision. So hear this from Genesis 17. God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male throughout your generations. So this led Thomas Aquinas, one of our favorite theologians around here, to comment that Christ was circumcised in order to prove that he was descended from Abraham, who had received the commandment of circumcision as a sign of his faith in him. And I think Aquinas' emphasis on circumcision as a sign of faith is really key. Abraham had demonstrated his faithfulness to God and his inclusion in God's family when he, when he obeyed God by leaving his homeland and going to a different part of the world, But Abraham's descendants wouldn't have that same opportunity to demonstrate their faith. Rather, God gave them the sign of circumcision to show that they too were part of God's family by being part of Abraham's family, and that they too had faith like Abraham. So being part of Abraham's family and participating in his family traditions was a key component to showing that one was in God's family. And this gets picked up by Mary, actually, the the Virgin Mary, in her song in the Magnificat, right after she received the news at the Annunciation. At the end of this song, she praises God and says, she says this, God has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. So Jesus is the fulfillment of the covenant God made with Abraham by submitting to circumcision and the right of his family. And so Christ showed himself to be a true descendant, a true offspring of Abraham. But not only is it significant for Jesus to be a descendant of Abraham, as the king of the Jews, Jesus also needed to be a descendant of the greatest king of the Old Covenant, King David. You might recall from the genealogies in the gospel that Mary and Joseph are both said to be of David's line, of Davidic lineage. And this is what we get that opening part of Luke 2, which we hear in our standard Christmas stories. Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, John the forerunner, praised God after John's birth by saying, "'Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people.'" and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And then even this morning in our epistle reading, Paul says this, that Jesus is God's son who was descended from David according to the flesh. So Jesus Christ, born of the lineage of David in the town of David, to be the king to sit on the throne of David, shows forth these truths in his circumcision according to the flesh on the eighth day after his birth. And then one final significant aspect, I think, of being a human descendant of Abraham and David is one that might be easy to overlook. The circumcision of Christ shows that Jesus was actually a human being. I mean, that issue might not bother us that much these days, but some of the oldest heresies in the early church that they faced in the centuries after Christ's time on earth were allegations that Jesus Christ was, yeah, fully God, but only seemed to be a human being. It was like God pretending to be a human, but wasn't actually or fully one. But what the early church commentators and Orthodox defenders pointed out is that in order for Christ to be circumcised, he had to have a human body. And if he had a human body, then he was actually a human being, like us other humans in every respect except for sin. So commemorating Jesus' circumcision reminds us that he is a human descendant of Abraham and David. Now, we are at January 1st. That is the beginning of the civil calendar. And at the end of the calendar year, we always get these top ten lists so you're ready for the most popular baby names of 2022? They're the same as 2021, apparently. Liam for boys and Olivia for girls. That's at least according to babycenter.com after my very scientific process of asking my phone, hey, what were the most popular baby names of 2022? Now we typically today name our babies uh, names that we think are, are cute or cool or interesting or what have you, but that wasn't typically the case when baby Jesus was born. Most common was for a child to be named some kind of family name. That's why people were so confused when Zechariah and Elizabeth wanted to name their son John. The second common motive for naming someone was because of some vocation or calling that they were supposed to have. I think the name of Jesus falls into this latter category. We can recall Abram, who got his name changed to Abraham back in Genesis 17 when God instituted this sign. Just a few verses prior to instituting the sign of circumcision, God renamed Abram to Abraham. Abram meaning exalted father, but Abraham meaning father of a multitude. For as God said in 17.5 in Genesis, I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. So Jesus, or as it might have been pronounced, Yeshua or Joshua, means the Lord saves. When the angel came to Joseph in a dream, in the first chapter of Matthew, the angel says of Mary, she'll bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, from what I understand, Jesus was not an uncommon name in his day, but I think it does mark out something true about Jesus' vocation. It marks out specifically that Jesus uh, was to be the instrument, the means, through which God was going to save his people. And this would make good on the angel's declaration to the shepherds that night he was born. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And then third and finally for our reflection on the circumcision and holy name of our Lord Jesus Christ, is to think about how Christ's submission to the law in his circumcision foreshadows and paves the way for him to fulfill his vocation as the Savior. Uh, the, the Great Litany is a set of prayers that we have in our Anglican tradition, which lists a great many petitions of God. We, we prayed this at our commemoration of Christ the King back in, back in November, and it crops up periodically in the church calendar. There's a section in the litany when we ask God to deliver us, and to do so by means of some great works that Christ has done. And one particular petition goes like this. By the mystery of thy holy incarnation, by thy holy nativity and submission to the law, By thy baptism, fasting, and temptation, good Lord, deliver us. So one of those items in the list here that we mention is Christ's submission to the law. Aquinas again explains the, the logic of how this works when he says of Christ, that by taking on himself the burden of the law, he might set others free therefrom. I think these instances are trying to express the sort of spiritual logic of the benefit to us of Christ's circumcision. Paul says in Galatians 4 But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children of God. That's Galatians 4, 4, and 5. For Paul, Jesus was born under the law and submitted to the law and yet fulfilled the law completely. As Jesus said himself in Matthew 5, he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And in so doing, or so I think, we who are born under the law of sin and death have been redeemed, we've been saved from the consequences of law, to instead be treated by God as his children, as his beloved adopted children. John writes this in his gospel, to all who did receive him, that is Christ, Who believed in his name, I think this basically means to have faith in Jesus, the one who saves, to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of humans, but of God. So the law of circumcision was a family tradition for the people of God under the old covenant, from Abraham to Jesus. This was a way of demonstrating one's faith in God, one's membership in God's family. But Christ fulfilled all the details of the law, so by our our incorporation into him, we too fulfill the law, without having to do it in all its specificity. And I think then we can see that in conclusion here, that, that circumcision is not a family tradition we Christians need to perpetuate. That is, there isn't a prohibition on circumcision, but I think neither is there any a requirement. This is in part what we see in the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, which was called to address Uh, sort of the wrestling, the the question the Christians had early on, the the Christians in the New Testament were all Jews, and they were wondering how do we incorporate Gentile Christians into being followers of Christ? And it was determined there that circumcision was not at all a requirement for being in the family of God. Rather, what developed in these early years of the church was the realization and the teaching that that baptism has superseded and, and fulfilled what was foreshadowed and promised in the rite of circumcision, As Aquinas noted earlier, practicing the circumcision was a way of demonstrating one's faith in God under the old covenant, but in the new covenant, we demonstrate our faith by means of baptism. Baptism is like the new covenant way of showing that we have faith in God and that we're adopted as members into God's family. This is the new covenant family tradition that Jesus has instituted for those who have received him. And I think not incidentally, there's a part in our baptismal liturgy where the celebrant asks the sponsors to name this child. Typically, parents have already named their baby before coming to church, but in this moment, I think we liturgically and spiritually call a name upon a new member of our covenant community, a new member of the family of God. And so we likewise continue to follow in this family tradition. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. I think this occurred so that Jesus might show that he was a true human descendant of Abraham and David that his name above all names communicates his vocation to save us, and that he would submit to and fulfill the law so that we who are incorporated into Christ by means of our faith and by means of our baptism can also become adopted children of God. Amen.